Welcome to the Weather Wheel. Grab your handle so you can clear your path through the camera, follow out narratives in the eighth of Stigma. For Sigma! For Sigma! Blood for the blood god. So we are on the road to Wapaka 2016. We left from Madison, Wisconsin, um, and uh, driving uh, us up there is somebody you all, all know from the podcast. This is uh, Davey. Say hey, Davey. Good morning, everybody. And uh, joining us uh, as a, a friend and, and uh, fellow player in the Madison area is Paul Wagner. Say hey, Paul. Hello. And obviously, this is uh, Eric um, in the in the passenger seat doing some recording. We just wanted to thought we'd I don't know try something a little bit different in our early podcast uh, experience to you know try something different, get out of Minnesota or something like that. And uh, we're just on our way to Wapaka to play in a one day AOS uh, tournament. Wapaka, uh, if you don't know, is a in, it historically has been a fantasy game, uh, fantasy event. Um, and gone for three days uh, over the weekend. This year, because the community splintered a little bit, um, they are playing a bunch of different games. So on Friday, there's also a Warhammer 8th edition event um, and a few other events. On Saturday, there's a different few, two or three events. On Sunday, there's two or three more events. So uh, it's kind of wide open. We're just coming up for uh, the Age of Sigmar Friday event. Looking forward to it, and I don't know. We're about an hour and a half away, and uh, it's six thirty in the morning, uh, six forty-five in the morning, and uh, we're just going to capture some thoughts, some discussion. Uh, and again, Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. All right, so we're going to start with Davy. What does it mean to you, in your hearts of hearts, uh, to be going to Wapaka this year, and uh, what's your kind of lead-up been like? So I am going for the third time here, although only one of the prior times was a, was a full PACA experience. Two years ago, I just went for the Friday pre-tournament tournament, um, enjoyed myself there, and uh, had to come back down to work. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing people getting to, getting to play more games of Age of Sigmar in a short time than I've done before. It would be a first, first event for... Uh, first event for Age of Sigmar for me, and then also the first event since last Wapaka, uh, just for a schedule. So I used to I used to attend a lot more frequently, um, and so I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, see some guys that I, I met last year at the the big event, and uh, uh, look forward to to hanging with some of them. It also represents the first time I get to actually bring my Slanesh Cav army, which has literally been in the making for uh, I think two army books and an edition change um, so I'm, I'm uh, glad to get to put that on the table at last and uh, in a, an environment that's not just running running at Eric's uh, undead again and again so, so uh, there's a little bit of a push towards the end to get this done your Slaneshi army and uh, tell us a little bit about that so this uh, army was supposed to be ready in 2014 for 
uh, Merry Mayhem, and then 2015 for Wapaka, and now 2016 for Wapaka, it, it uh, just barely got ready. I was a little bit more on track than uh, prior years, and then the SDK point system changed, and that, uh, one interesting thing about this event is it's got a 750 main detachment and two 250 support detachments. So that's actually a lot of sort of uh, jiggering around of where you where you put your units all that sort of thing. I, I had a unit that was exactly 250. Its points cost increased by like two or three points a model, and all of a sudden it wouldn't fit in there, in there, in there, and there, and there. And it represented a, a whole lot more paint at a time that had already been pretty strictly budgeted. But uh, yeah, the uh, I don't know how. Eric, you have painted for some events. You've been to a couple. Uh, is that right? So. so, yeah, I've been to a one-day event at our local uh, gaming store uh, back in, I don't know if that was 2015, early 2015, and then uh, Merry Mayhem 2015. Um, I'm sorry. No, that was back in 2014. Man, it's been a while. Uh, so Merry Mayhem 2014 was my last event and uh, this year, uh, business, you know, business stuff and uh, another another baby um, kept me from doing anything like that. And then obviously the addition changed. So, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward. I've not I've not wanted to go to events or haven't been terribly interested in going to events in the past. All the podcasts I listen to talk about these events and they sound amazing. And that's not really the thing that's you know obviously those make me want to go. But um, I travel a lot for work and all these other things, so it's hard to, to get off the time and, and make that you know fit that in. So it was it was kind of like the unicorn. You never think you're going to see one. Um, and uh, it just worked out because this is AOS and it's a one-day. Um, I'm feeling much more interested in getting out to events um, and participating. And this was a year that, obviously, Wapaka was bigger in previous years, a solo game event, um, and really well regarded for its atmosphere and that sort of thing and so certainly that that adds to it as well wanted to come this year my painting i feel like i i might have bit off a lot more uh in in the lead up this last month to this uh, starting a youtube channel and a few other things uh joining a couple of grow league blogs um and trying to be active on twitter along with painting a pretty heavily converted army uh, building a brand new display board and I suppose this is my again my first time this army is seeing a tournament and I really want to make a good first impression with it not like if I walk away and nobody says anything that I'm going to feel like trashing it or anything like that but just that uh, I mean I'm just excited because I, I feel like it's a, a fun army cool to look at um, and I hope whoever I'm playing against has a lot of fun with it. And that's really, I mean, most of my posting online about with my army and stuff is just to be like, hey, this is this is what I did. I want to see what you did. You know, kind of add to the the inspiration a little bit uh, that I get from everybody else. So I hope that's really what I'm hoping to get out of it. Um, plus, they do the awards for a lot of events tend to be pretty crazy. Um, in this case. Chad has uh, Chad Hansen has built some large weaponry. Uh, I believe there's a replica of a decimator hammer uh, as one of the the prizes. Uh, so yeah, I mean th- something like that would be cool. Sir, a decimator uses a uh, what? Storm axe? It's an axe. 
Oh, sorry, it's not the decimator. Retributor hammer. I, I'm no Stormcast player, but uh, let me get pedantic on you here real quick. Yeah. All right, so, Paul, tell us about your uh, excitement. You're coming off uh, a, a new uh, addition to the family, so tell us about uh, your lead-up and coming to PACA this year. Um, well, for me, PACA has always been a uh, highlight of the year, and I, I, believe it or not, PACA has also been the center of a lot of life changes in my life, so it's nice to come up here with uh, no strings attached and nothing having to worry about. Um, I mean, you still, it's like 10 bucks for gas, so there's some strings. Okay. Five, bu- five ten bucks for gas, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with. Uh, but it's more about just being able to come up and have a good time. Um, I, I also wanted to just kind of point out that it's, it's really cool that this is actually happening. Uh, I know that Wapaka has always had a bit of a tight budget when it comes to running because they picked the venue first and then crafted the event to match the venue. And with AOS dropping and people deciding they didn't want to play that anymore, I'm pretty impressed that they were able to come up with something that um, allows everybody to show up and hang out and still be able to be a part of the community. So that's a pretty awesome thing with such a tight budget. Um, I, I had probably a lot less prep time than I thought I was going to coming into Wapaka, which is unsurprising. I usually don't have a lot of prep time, but my uh, third child was a little bit more stressful than number one and two, so I didn't have as not nearly as much time to concentrate on painting, assembling, etc. So I'm bringing the same army I brought last year. Uh, there's been upgrades to it, but I did a little bit of a different tack this year as far as modeling. With not knowing where everything was headed, I started to work a bit on display pieces. So I have three display pieces, as it were, in my army. Uh, my general my man of intrigue and one of my unit champions are really a display piece and I kind of credit that back to Wapaka as well with their man of intrigue idea. I did my first display piece last year uh, off of the uh, illustration of a forest goblin mage on a spider and so it's something I really enjoyed and so I put a lot of time into my displays but now my army doesn't kind of match <laughs> the level of attention to detail that are in those displays so I'm just really excited to be able to go uh, especially with not knowing when my son was going to be born it was always a question of whether or not I'd be able to swing coming to Wapaka this year so well it's really cool uh, you guys have both been to Paca so I'm excited to kind of uh see you know hear a little bit about it through your eyes what to expect all that kind of stuff and then you know hopefully you don't ditch me at the door um so why don't we talk a little bit about this uh format um obviously we're going to play age of sigmar that's what we really enjoy right now um or you know of the games that are out there that's the one that we're playing um but right next to us is going to be some eighth edition at some point there's going to be some infinity being played there's some malifaux i think on sunday they got um, War Machine Hordes. So there's going to be people who don't care for our game and maybe even don't like it at all. Are you guys worried about the atmosphere kind of pouring over into any kind of uh, stuff like that? Uh, I'm not particularly uh, worried about that, to be honest. It, even when you're playing 8th edition out of the book or with comp, there's always going to be people who be people who look at your army and say, oh, your army is broken, or your army is weak, or, you know people always disagreed with the way that people played the game to begin with. I really don't think that having Age of Sigmar and 8th Edition and 9th Edition or whatever in the same room 
is going to be much different than that. There's always different ways that people prefer, prefer to play the game. And that's been true in past years, and I think that'll be true in this year as well. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually excited for it. I, I really like the idea of this format. If I could have done more than one day, I absolutely would have. Uh, just, it's interesting to see different games out there, and also, uh, you know, that that social aspect still exists. And if you get to Wander, you can see some other games getting played. Um, that seems pretty fun, as well. People are going to walk over and say, "Hey, look, these dudes are having fun with Age of Sigmar." So, you know, I don't know. I I, th- I think maybe it'll. Events like this might help to uh, reduce some of the animosity or hostility. You know, not that that is just that that side of it gets highlighted online, and when you see that you know the, the people actually playing the game, uh, then I think you can't you can't stay mad forever. So, are you likening it to other social issues that people are against until they know somebody and love somebody who does it, and they're like, okay, maybe it's not so bad, and maybe that person can be loved. And so what you're saying is that if people see other people playing Age of Sigmar, they'll they'll say, you know what, maybe it, it can it can be loved, and, and it humanizes it a bit. Is that what you're saying, is that Age of Sigmar needs to be humanized a bit, and people need to see it being played in the wild and see that it exists and is a thing? I'm saying we're taking this all the way to the Supreme Court. So. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit about... Um, you mentioned SDK a little bit, Davey, and... Uh, um, this singles compact is what they're using at Adepticon, isn't it? Um, I know that they've got a, a doubles at Adepticon, but I think this so, this is based, or the Adepticon one is based on this. It's SDK. I think some of these scenarios may be kind of working in their way there. What did you guys think of, of the actual compact and how we're playing Age of Sigmar? Um, it's just kind of interesting to me that the compact is not for a specific tournament. It's for general use. And as Davey said, his army got changed a bit because SDK updated. In the past, that would have happened if you had a new army book, but then everything would have changed. But having these small, different increments go up and down, I think is a great thing to help balance the, the game, as it were. But it also is a different thing because the entire system gets redressed every time there's an update. So it's a really interesting situation where you don't know you have to, you have to set a specific time and say that this is the way it's going to work, but you don't know when these updates are coming. They're fan based. You don't have any release schedule, anything like that. So it it can make it a little bit harder to plan for what you're actually going to be bringing to the event. What are you thinking about um, the scenarios? To be honest, I looked at them. I immediately forgot them. I thought that they looked fun and enjoyable, and that's about it. <laughs> well, then we'll have some once we're maybe once we're off there. We'll talk about it a little bit on here, but we can we can talk through them. I'm I'm pretty excited about the scenarios. Um, I in my travels, I'm driving eight hours sometimes round trip, and uh, I did I call you, Davy, on one of my drives home or something? I think, and I was just like, Davy. I've been thinking about these these scenarios, and and I believe I've unlocked the code, uh, and the numbers all line up, and Jesus was married to Mary, and and it all works out. The Illuminati are real, and he was like, "Dude, you're not that good of a player. You probably don't have it figured out." <laughs> David, what do you think about the the compact? 
Yeah, so you, you called out. I was like, okay, Eric, your first step is to remember that, you know, when you run, then you can't charge, you know. Like, let's get some of the basics done. <laughs> Every time. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to charge you. And he was like, you ran with them, and you ran with them, and you ran with them, and you ran with them. Yeah, exactly. Um, scenarios, I, uh, Eric and I have played through a few of them. Uh, I like them. I like, what I really like about this particular compact, how it's structured, is with this sideboard format. When I was playing in Austin, we had a... Uh, we called it $2 Tournament Tuesdays, and we just come up with different wacky tournament formats where you'd swap armies or do things. One thing we tried out was sideboard, and what's what's fun about that is, you know, anytime you got a, a points-based system, uh, it tends to, it can often under, it has a difficult time, and we talked about this some elsewhere, it has a difficult time putting a points value on things that have situational uh, effectiveness. And so... Yes, we did talk about this. <laughs> so when you've got something that's situationally effective, it can be hard to find a place in your army for that because something that's more generally effective, that's that's got a greater reliability of, like, I'm going to be able to use this in some manner in every game rather than it's going to be useless in some. When you use a sideboard, all of a sudden you open up the possibility of, like, okay, I'm going to plug this thing in if uh, I go up against something magic-heavy or horde-heavy or whatever, whatever the case may be. Other games like War Machine Hordes do this a lot. Uh, I'm not super tapped into what they're doing now. I know in the past they have. That was part of their standard format. So I really like coming at it from that perspective. And uh, the the scenarios also are, are looking pretty interesting. I do think my, my one concern, there's only one hour, one and a half hours for round time. I think uh, with the number of people who probably have not played a whole lot of Age of Sigmar, I think there will be a lot of games that do not finish or don't go to time. So. You mentioned... Um now I'm trying to remember what you mentioned after you moved on. Um, the sideboard. One of the rules in this compact is that you can summon all of your sideboard. So do you think we're going to see mostly summoning armies where you're moving from se- um, having the 1,000 points on the table deployed and everyone's going to be trying to bring in their 250 from the side? Uh, I, you might You might have if... Uh, if I thought people were building armies specifically for this. I think a lot of people are probably rebased their existing armies. I think you got people like Paul back here who aren't going to summon anything anyway, right? Yeah. Goblins don't summon? Goblins don't summon. Uh, I, that was part of what I restructured when I found out that I had to blow up my list. I was like, well, I might as well restructure it to, to have some summoning. So I've got some uh, demonettes and a, uh, a super sketchy seeker chariot, which is uh, awfully hit or miss, unfortunately. I remember... Being so afraid of that thing in 8th edition. And in our first game playing against it, I ran my Bone Giant away from it because I didn't want the Bone Giant to die to that thing. Turns out, in Age of Sigmar, they cast that whole chariot out of rubber because uh, it just bounces. Uh, and so not to be not to be afraid. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm most excited about these uh, scenarios, as I mentioned. Um, so as we've talked about, just some things that are very different. Now... There's a couple of the very last um, game round is a battle line with some different objectives. So it's that's probably going to be the one I'm least interested in, and I'm a little worried that it's going to end the tournament on a ho hum game. So I'm going to try and be figuring out how to make that game fun for my opponent so it doesn't feel ho hum. Uh, the second to last, you divide the line wherever you want, and any that cuts through the center in a straight line and so I'm thinking diagonal deployment something like that um, but you have to to you get a point if your um, hero 
your general and your most expensive unit are alive at the end of the, uh, the game, and you get a point if your opponent's general and most expensive unit are gone. So the potential of that four points that way. Um, I think that'll be interesting. I think I, I know how to do one. Or I could probably plan for one, but not the other. My bone giant is my most expensive unit. So he's also the guy I charge into things. So I can't just put my general and my bone giant sitting in the back playing tiddlywinks or pickup sticks, as it were. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so they've, you know, one of them's he's going to die. So I might just have to, like, bubble wrap him and send him in or something. I don't know. Um, the first two, though, are super interesting to me. The first one starts with the deployment of the um, Man of Intrigue. You roll off, see who deploys first. They have to be 24 inches apart. On your, You're dividing in half, but you can deploy anywhere in that half, but 12 inches apart. So first player is going to get some, some board dominance. And you go back and forth. Everything after that is 12, in, 12 inches apart. And so some board control. And then your goal is to just have more uh, models in the enemy deployment zone, uh, enemy half of the board, at the end of the game. And um, you get a major victory if you have twice as many as them. Uh, which really heavily, that one probably influenced my, my list the most and what I selected. I've got a lot more models than I do like heavy hitting units. So anyway. And then the second one has a, a deployment where... Um, you're, you can deploy anywhere on the board. It's not cut in half. Um, and you just have to stay outside of nine inches. And then first turn, you can't move, run, charge, or pile. So you're not getting an instant jump in that first turn. But then after that, you've got an ability that lets you kind of stop units from doing those things, even your own units. So, but it's like you're just going to have pockets. I always like the idea in Age of Sigmar of who are your, like, teams, you know what hero goes which which with which units and and you're going to drop those down together kind of thing. So those are the four. I think the first two are the most interesting, and I'm really excited to play those. Uh, you talking about victory conditions, all these different scenarios. I think one cool thing about it is in the first one, it's model count in a particular area is going to win it for you. In the second one, it's going to be wounds within uh, a certain distance of the different terrain pieces are. But so in the first one, models, and the second one, wounds, and the last ones. It's just straight up units, you know, particular key units. So that uh, that places value on uh, three potentially very different kinds of, of uh, units. And the last one is just assassinating the man of intrigue uh, of your opponent, which is kind of cool. That's just the whole focus of the entire game is killing one one unit. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, kind of a play on the way that they set up the scenario uh, as far as like the four page rules. If I remember correctly, because you're allowed to assassinate, but they've actually picked a a unit pre-game and it's also interesting that the man of intrigue has a movement of four I, it was four I, I, you're right I'm sorry yeah but my whole army is movement nine or more because I'm all spider riders so I've got this slow moving man of intrigue so it, it's an interesting I've got skeletons they all move four so we're we're feeling okay about it but yeah, I can imagine uh, twitchy spider riders sitting back by him going, I don't want to be here. I want to be moving. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's an interesting dynamic to have the Man of Intrigue be 
uh, standard because in the previous tournaments, it's always been attached to a base unit, and then it had the movement of that base unit. So, it because but in Age of Sigmar, that's not necessarily you don't have to worry about that. You're not taking a whole unit with you. You can have something that moves slower and still be able to manipulate your army around it because it's such a more fluid movement phase. So it, it's really interesting to me. Um, the other thing that's added to this is that there's a couple of things. One, you get re-roll um, coins that you start off with three of them, I believe. Maybe they bumped it to four. I think two or three. And when you use it, you give it to your opponent. So now if I have three and Davey's got three and I use a re-roll desperately because I need it, he now has four to use in the game. So they don't disappear. They get transferred. And um, so someone could walk up, get to their last game and just have a load full of coins and be able to just re-roll the heck out of that game. I, they also are the tie break, though. So there's incentive to hang on to them. Like if you can get to the end having done well and have a big pile of of uh, your reroll coins, and you've got to step up on anyone who ended on the same battle points, which I think has a, a big potential for happening. Um, and I think that's a really smart way to not make people have people abuse those. Um, yeah, I wasn't even thinking when I saw that tiebreaker that that was the balance of it. But yeah, I mean, then you're only using it when it's crucial, and you can decide: do I want to go for you know use it here, or do I want to use it on the on the podium? Um, myself not likely to podium uh, so I'll be giving those away <laughs> um, but uh, then the other side is that you will have four um, mission cards uh, One, the, you get to pick which one you use in each game which I believe they, the man of intrigue needs to complete these um, and so you, you at the, I think at deployment or right before deployment or something you pick the one you kind of put it face down on the table and that's the one you're going to use. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I remember what the effect on the game those are, if they're another point or... There's still a big mystery. There's still a big mystery right now. We, we don't... Uh, Chad's kept that under undercover, so... Uh, that's so rules of intrigue for the man of intrigue. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's cool about it is, like, so Eric's done a whole lot of thinking about the scenarios, but he's still going to have to adapt on his feet when it comes to... Uh, or actually... Uh, <laughs> execute <laughs> what I thought I was going to do. So think on my feet or execute. Either one is uh, uh, <laughs> is in danger. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it'd be cool to cool to see him and uh, looking forward to getting some games. And I know the the Skull Bros are going to be there. I know Johnny Hastings and a, a couple other names. I, I remember kind of scanning. There were a couple names I didn't recognize, but a whole bunch that I was like, ah, I would love to play this guy. I would love to play this guy. I would love to play this guy. So. Um, let us be a little bit embarrassed to put my speed painted army against uh, some of these uh, some of the stuff that people are bringing. So it's interesting to think of people being in the same club participating in different games. I mean, that's a really interesting thing to me is just that people playing Infinity are going to be in the same club as people playing Age of Sigmar are going to be in the same club as people playing 40k. I've never heard of a a group uh, or a tournament running a group competition across game systems. ECC, okay. Um, so that's, that's a very interesting format, and that's definitely a change from last year where it was all... It, it, I don't know, I guess maybe for Mopaka, as far as it's concerned, it's always been Warhammer, but then it's also been the Beard competition, and you know, the Manliest Man competition, and like all these other non-game things so it's interesting 
because you could easily see somebody, you know, a club putting together a power team of this is our best 40k player, this is our fantasy player. So there's actually a way to metagame the tournament, as it were. You know, if you can bring in or choose players that might be better at a specific system and have them play those systems. And there's also going to be people, I assume, at this tournament that have never been to a packer before. And that's also an interesting thing to me as well, especially with so many different people running the tournaments themselves. Well, you think, yeah, I mean, there's a Warhammer Fantasy 8th Edition tournament today, and there's an Age of Sigmar tournament today. They probably have, I don't know, 12 players each? 15? I think uh, that's probably a rough guess. I think there may be more for Age of Sigmar at this point because they, they expanded it beyond what it was originally capped at. So. so let's say it's 20, and there's, you know, 15 for 8th. That's 35 people um, playing in what was historically 100-some people playing that game. Now you've got some of that community who's gone to these other game systems. But I don't think any of the, the War Machine community has been to Wapaka. I think that's a new um, piece for Wapaka. So that's a whole another group of people that are coming to experience and be a part of that. And, you know, even within our own groups, we've been thinking about how do we, you know, talking about how do we grow our Age of Sigmar um you know, kind of, I don't know if we've never called it a club in the past. It's just our game night kind of thing. But that there are other games that people might be playing or other things, other communities that are strong that um, we may want to try, not attach to, but kind of draw energy from. Um, and even be able to kind of get some cross, I guess, influence or exposure to different games both ways. I mean, you can experience some other games. Uh, Davey, you've showed me some uh, War Machine Hordes uh, games before, but even be able to expose some of them to Age of Sigmar by this sort of thing is, is, is definitely a really interesting concept. And I do think, I mean, clubs... I mean, I've, I was in a fraternity once. Not as a weird kind of club. Uh, I was Boy Scouts. That's club. Um, as an adult, I don't think I've joined any kind of clubs, and I don't know a lot about kind of what that atmosphere or how people do it in different parts of the country um, so it's kind of cool. To, it'll be cool to see kind of... I know Chicago has a few clubs in the Warhammer stuff. and uh, So I think it'll be interesting to see how they operate and, and kind of how they work together. Yeah, I again, I, I think I mentioned before, but I, I'm excited for this format, even though I'm not going to be able to do all three days. If I was staying for all three days, I'd really like the idea of getting, like, be exposed to different games and try out different things and walk around and see, here's a different game on the on the board and how does this look and you know, to see, like, you could you could run into something that you think is super cool or vice versa. People could come over and, you know, take a peek at what you're doing and think that's real cool. So uh, I like I like the diversity of hobby that we're going we're gonna to get to see. So looking forward to that. There's a really interesting thing that is new to this Wapaka that has not been true in the past, which is if you're playing pickup games and your army is not painted, your club loses points. That's a really, really fascinating thing, which really elevates Wapaka from a tournament to a weekend. It, it, it's something I've never heard of at any other tournament, but it really is, you know, it's, it's as it were the opposite of a concession to the fact that it's turning into more of a convention as opposed to a one-day or a two-day tournament. And that's a really interesting 
approach that I've never seen done anywhere else. So one, what I like about what you're mentioning there is it's they, they found a way to try and capture the spirit of Wapaka across multiple game systems. And I know for like the War Machine Hordes guys, like painting requirements is, is you know, in many of their different, there's they several different formats that they can play, but in many of them, uh, painting requirements are kind of an alien thing. And so that was, that was a little hurdle for them to get over. Uh, I remember hearing Raj talking about that on his podcast. And he was like, you know, sorry, bud, but this is, you know, this is the Wapak away, the Wapak spirit. So I, it, it, it'll be cool to not only walk around and see different games, but like see them at their best, see them, see them painted and see that side of it valued. Uh, and, you know, I know painting isn't everybody's jam. I'm not as good as the other people in the car here at it, but uh, I enjoy it. I, I really, I really like looking at that aspect of the hobby. It's important to me to, to see. And so uh, this is one of the reasons I, I value Wapak is, is they place value on this side of things, even if, even if it's a, a, the value of an ideal that I may never uh, come close to reaching. Well, that's one thing. I mean, on our podcast, we don't talk a lot about the, the negative around the coming of age of Sigmar, maybe putting this out. This uh, talking here is free form for us. It, it exists. It's real. Um, but that's one thing that as I've, I've thought about the community breaking up a little bit, the 8th edition community, and going to other systems, is the idea that in 8th, we definitely had a tournament scene, an uh, event scene, that was required painting, that your army was painted. And it didn't have to be stellar. It just needed to be base. Uh, three colors and I thought that would be kind of cool that maybe some of that uh, mentality got brought into other systems as that you know TOs were r- running games for other or tournament events for other game systems and bringing that paint requirement to it I thought it really just ups the hobby in general and and how people see it and that sort of thing so I think yeah I, th- I think Wapaka has that energy and they're bringing it to some other game systems it's really interesting. I'm thinking about the 40k narrative event. I've been watching Ryan Nickel uh, building his planet, and he's—I mean, it's really interesting to get excited about a system that I'm not playing in that's coming to a tournament that I'm going to be attending. That's really interesting. I mean, yeah, that happens with the Depticon, but there's so many people playing Warhammer. There's so many people playing this stuff and you don't see them on your feed you know like you're going on twitter you're going on facebook you know you're not necessarily seeing those things happening but this is the same core group of people who are playing fantasy (coughs) doing all this different stuff now i mean like i saw pics last night on twitter of the infinity tables that the bear put together for after dark which just look incredible he's got lighting on them and and, and just like he had the lights turned off and the the battlefields are completely lit up. It's just, it's kind of crazy to get excited about seeing all this stuff. And it's something that I would definitely associate with a much larger event like Adepticon. But as an event that's capped at 100 players per day, that's that's a lot. And it, it's kind of impressive. I mean, usually the really exciting thing was to see everybody else's army for fantasy and to see the awards. Now there are more awards, more armies, and maybe by the same people, maybe by different people. I mean, like, there's definitely a possibility for having more than 100 people bringing in armies right now. And if all those armies are going to be fully painted, <clears throat> even the ones that are being played after hours, there's a lot more hobby inspiration to be had. No, that's really cool. So, I mean, this speaks to Wapaka as an event 
trying to see what it's going to become beyond 8th edition, uh, opening its arms to a lot of different game systems and just experimenting, which I know in the Age of Sigmar community, in and of itself, the openness of the game has spurred a lot of creativity and experimentation. I mean, right now we've got at least three different comp systems um, with the uh, Clash comp, the pool system. We've got the SDK that we've been talking about. There's an Azir comp. I know that there's a, a OnePlus uh, comp from Canhammer um, up in Canada. I know that East Coast, I feel like there's another comp that's been floating around. And I'm sure, and, and South Coast GT just came out with, well, they came out with their scenarios and stuff, but I think they're doing a from the ground up pool creation. Um, and so there's going to be a bunch of that on the scene. From the, the creative, and, uh, you know, the next formal podcast, I'll mention some of these other kind of really creative things that I've gotten into with um, the Tale of Sigmar and uh, some of the YouTube community that's that's working and that sort of thing. So um, so Age of Sigmar is spurring some of that kind of open experimentation. Um, it's like the, the 60s of gaming. Um, <laughs> and uh, But we're seeing Wapaka kind of bring that maybe to other game systems too. Like it's it's energizing the community maybe. Well, once we get through this past six months of you know, vitriol that is going to happen anytime there's big change. But I hope that, yeah, that it kind of creates experimentation in the hobby as a whole. The thing is that I'm in it because I like the miniatures, I like the hobby. And the game is a way of me being able to form a structured time to talk with other people who like the hobby. It's not actually about me trying to necessarily be the best player and learn the game. It's about me being able to spend time with other people talking about this hobby that I love. Well, I'm right there with you on that. Uh, Davey here is cutthroat, though. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't I don't care about anything but the uh, on-table effectiveness. No. We should do a check-in. What's our ETA to PACA? Uh, pretty close here. So. All right, so... We're we're coming coming close. We might be doing some recording on the way back to give everybody our impressions of the, of the weekend that sort of stuff. I don't know if we'll record while we're there. Who knows? Uh, after the break, wait, no, we don't do that. Um, uh, we'll 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 be continuing some more audio right after this. So we're back together, um, Davey Culkins, Paul yep. Wagner, and myself, Eric Oakland, um, here a couple of weeks after Wapaka has ended, so we can kind of wrap up what you heard us talk about earlier and um, about what our what we felt like our experiences were and talk through how things went and um, hopefully, you know, our takeaways and things that we're excited for maybe next year or in other events uh, between, you know, throughout the rest of the year. So, um, so what, what should we talk about first, gentlemen? Um, do you want to kind of talk about the format of the event and, and things that, that were interesting or different or unexpected, the mood? Uh, do you want to talk about games played? Where do you want to start? 
Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's give a quick overview of the event. Um, I know we talked about it on the on the lead up, um, but now that we've seen it, I mean, because we rolled in, and um, despite on the roll in the fact that I was uh, tried to kill us once and tried to drive the wrong <laughs> way down a one way another time, and uh, finally tried to run us out of gas right at the last minute, um, we we got there in one piece and uh, jumped not quite immediately into Age of Sigmar tournament because we still got there with plenty of time, but that was that was pretty early on. Um, so as yeah, far we, as we, go ahead. we were re, we were recording, I think, or still trying to do some recording, and we were like, "Hey, do you got anything else?" And you're, and I think you were like, "Uh, uh," <laughs> kind of just focusing on yeah. like the panic of almost running out of gas, and we're all oblivious to it. So that's yeah, yeah. I was I was like single bead of sweat going down my brow while you guys chatted about the wonderfulness of previous editions. Um, but yeah, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> The event itself, we we got there, uh, and uh, there were it ended up being sixteen people, uh, one of which was uh, a ringer. So there were, there were fifteen, so a, a modest sized event, but um, pretty decent for for what they had there. And uh, Eric, this is your first Aegis Sigmar event, yes. So what? Uh, actually, was it for you, Paul? I can't remember. Did you make it to uh, Merry Mayhem? I did not make it to Mary Mayhem, so this also was my first Age of Sigmar event. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, we came in, we brought our, th- kind of figured out where we needed to be, talked to um, Bear to see what where things were at, and uh, just kind of got things set up, brought things in, started setting up our armies and off to the side, et cetera. Um, and it was, it was really cool kind of unpacking for this. Um, we, you know, obviously all been spent some time painting ahead of the, um, the schedule. I, you know, I think I had quite a bit to do, but I think Davey probably sweated more than I did, um, with that, <laughs> with that Saigor. Um, yeah. but it was, it was really cool to just kind of, I mean, nobody was there yet, but it was kind of like cool to unpack the army and say, we're here guys. Yeah. It's, we're here. Yeah. It's happened. There were donuts so. and coffee. It was great. It was, yeah. it was odd showing up on Friday. I, I kept having to remind myself that it was a Friday all day long. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, people started slowly kind of piling in. The There'd been things happening the night before, so um, a lot of people were over at the hotel still, which was just a walking distance. Um, so the, the hall hadn't uh, filled in just yet, and, and people started to trickle in, bringing their armies. They were driving from other places, too. Um and uh yeah, it just really kind of it was it was a slow grow, but it was you know the energy picked up with it, which was really cool yeah it was it was interesting, uh different from normal because we're starting the event off, and some of us have been up super early and maybe up way late the night before uh you know prepping, and some guys are waking up on site and maybe with a hangover, maybe not, and you know stumbling down but uh yeah as as everyone kind of got in there it was a real it was a real relaxed atmosphere for the whole event and uh you know, not uh, not too subdued, but but pretty good. But uh, um, jumping I think into, a, I think it was the first AOS event for a lot of people, and so not sure what to expect compared to you know previous events. And <laughs> <coughs> sorry, uh, get it all out. <coughs> Go. So I think that you know everybody was super open to what it was going to be looking at each other's armies, seeing stuff on rounds. So, I mean, everybody was just kind of very open-minded. Um, and and the player pack, uh, the compact for this, 
the scenarios were very different than I think even some of the AOS games people were used to playing. And so I think, yeah, I think it just set the stage for being very open to whatever was going to happen that day. Sure, absolutely. Uh, what did happen that day? Should we, Joe, or do you got any uh, initial thoughts there before we jump in, Paul? Uh, the thing that struck me the most was uh, there wasn't as much terrain as I was thinking there was going to be on the tables. That was the, the first thing I noticed as we walked into setup is I thought there was going to be a little bit more terrain on the table. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm going to say, I, actually, when Eric and I were, were uh, practicing, uh, I made him take terrain off the table um, because we play with it, a ton of it. And I said, uh, you need to practice with a little bit less because Pack is not going to have this much. They just, you know, they only have so much. And um, I, I think uh, Chad Hansen may not have enough games in to, um, to, you know, to think about laying a ton down. And he's trying to solo this anyway. So I, I was... Uh, I like to play with a lot. I was not surprised that there was it was a little bit light. Although um, I did have one game that was just you know saturated in terrain because the Bears tables are a little bananas sometimes. So yeah, I will say I did talk to Alex Gonzalez about that. Uh, he was my one of my opponents um, about Adepticon, and the size of the 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 tournament this year is such that he doesn't. He's got enough terrain from Eighth Edition games and, and tournaments but then he's got fewer tables mm. so he talked about being able to use that additional terrain to fill in um, the tables that he did have so it sounds like Adepticon if you're going to that if anybody's going to that it's gonna have more terrain on the table than an eighth edition tournament but I can see here where if you've got terrain spread out for a bunch of different games you're not spending a ton of time creating new terrain for Age of Sigmar where you know again you don't know the game that well you're the, the TOs or the people that are um, hosting the event aren't necessarily tied to any one game, so they're, they're feeling it out. But, yeah, it's there's a few times where I some of my strategies, I was hoping for a little more terrain to set my my, um, my um, casket in. Yeah. Um, and didn't have that opportunity. You're, you're used to having Fortress Casket uh, set up to... Uh, so... Uh, but let's uh, let's get into some games here. Um, Paul, who did you play round one? My round one opponent was Andrew Niekamp, otherwise known as Rotor. He was playing Seraphon. Um, so he was playing the same army he played in the 8th edition tournament last year. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous army. He added some Ripperdactyls, um, and Nakai got downgraded to a Sun Champ or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it was a really fun game. Uh, my first tournament game of AOS, so there was a lot of learning and just kind of feeling out how the game was playing, and it was nice to be able to do that against an opponent that I played before in 8th edition. So, um, As far as the game went, I had a great time. I felt like I was in it, but I ended up losing and got no points at the end of the game. Um, that'll be a recurring theme <laughs> in my reports. I, I felt like you were in this one with uh, with a great shot from the outset because you were playing on the orc and goblin table. You you have that spider yep. army, and uh, there was a massive goblin spider web right in the middle. It's like, it can't fail. No way. Yeah, my uh, blessing of the spider god didn't go out so well. So. <laughs> what, uh, what did the ripper dactyls obliterate? Because I'm sure they obliterated one or more items. 
Um, they went after my Arachnorak. And the problem was, so this was the interesting thing. Uh, you can pull stuff from the side table. So he had a unit of Ripperdactyls, and they came in off of his sideboard. I see that summon unit. them? Or? Yep, the Slan okay. summons them. So if I killed all the unit of Ripperdactyls, he'd be able to summon the unit of Ripperdactyls again. Mm. So I actually, I think I took one round and I didn't use attacks on the Arachnorak just to keep the Rippers off the table one more turn because he only had one model left and it only had like one wound. But I ended right. up not, I think I ended up not attacking with one of my monsters because it just ended up working out better in the long run. So that was Interesting. definitely a complete shift of thinking for me because like he had nothing to lose because they were in a sideboard to begin with, so he wasn't going to lose any points from me killing them. I wasn't going to gain any points, and it would have given him more tactical options. So Yeah. We should it was say an interesting that, uh, experience. Scenario one was entirely decided by um, getting your models into your opponent's half of the board and vice versa. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so it sounds like yeah. a, a hard L for you in the first round. What about you, uh, Eric? Eric? You guys there? Yep, can you hear me? Did I lose you or did you lose me? Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you, yeah. So. Can you hear me? Yep. <coughs> you started talking, Davey, and then I heard nothing. Okay. Uh, let me re-record that piece then, just in case. Uh, so, Paul, sounds like a hard L for you. Eric, how did that uh, first round go for you? So, I think I mentioned this in the last part of the recording. This first scenario was probably the one I had thought the most about because the deployment was so different than anything I'd played. Um, and the deployment was uh, you start with your um, um, int- Man of Intrigue, which was a, a bonus model, and whoever rolled off to, you know, one the roll, get to decide where they placed first, and then the second one had to go, the other, the opponent's man of intrigue had to go 24 inches away, and then in part of the pack I was playing, everything after that was a 12-inch deployment, um, which got, uh, you know, just through the iteration of a rules pack, um, on the day we played was still, everything after that was still 24 inches. So I ended up playing, um, so I was just, Anyway, I was just anticipating this crazy weird deployment. Where would I go? What would be my first unit second? Um, I played uh, Andrea Schwann, and uh, her has, she has this fantastic uh, Tomb King army that she's put together to match her uh, Empire army. It's got a uh, copper, orange, and um, blue theme. Um, it's, it's just beautiful. Um, and so I was really excited to play her. I know her from... Twitter and just have, did she bring that Tomb King or did she bring something else? She brought no, she brought the Stormcast. Did I say oh, Tomb King? You said Tomb King. Yes, you did. Oh, sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> she brought Stormcast, and I'm thinking about my next game. I guess um, a beautiful Stormcast army uh, with a, a Celestine Prime, um, some some Retributors, um, uh, some Judicators. I don't think she had any Prosecutors because she ended up with some pretty slow movement. But because of that deployment, I got 
first roll, I was able to put my guy down like right in the middle, which basically swung her off to one side of the board. <coughs> and I guess for me, the the joy was I, I executed my plan. It was a little bit easier because of that 24-inch bubble. Um, but uh, my goal was to put all of my um, deployed skeletons, so 10 Grave Guard and 20 um, Skeleton Warriors, onto a, on the line and march them across and try and have them survive. And then um, when distracted, having you know going after those to, to take them out, to run my lich priest on a hor on a skeletal steed back around to um, summon um, ten skeleton archers or and five um, skeleton horse archers into the deployment in order to at the end have enough models on the side to to win hopefully a major victory um, and it ended up working out for me. Um, the highlight though <laughs> was the Celestin Prime came down. For my plan to grab, you know, kill the the tiny units that I had, uh, you know, marching across, and I had uh, this theory of of bubbling my skeleton warriors inside of my grave guard. Prime came down, killed the grave guard on her turn, um, and so then I got wiped them all out. So then I got to pile in my skeleton warriors um, at full health, twenty models. And put full attacks against the Celestin Prime. Um, took I think about three wounds off on that one. Um, so I think there's nine wounds on that model, ten maybe. Um, and then in the next round, in my turn, uh, I had a choice between Skeleton Warriors at full attack against the the Celestin Prime, or my Bone Giant on a few wounds against some uh, some prosecutors. I sacrificed my Bone Giant. Because I knew he was going to die if he didn't go first. Well, and for the purposes of this, it's uh, it's uh, one model, right? So yeah. for victory conditions, yeah. he's very exactly. sacrificable. Exactly. He was keeping some of her models from getting over to mine, and she she had to deal with the bone giant. And that's what the bone giant does: is it forces you to deal with it. And so I I piled in and got I think I didn't get all forty attacks. I only got thirty nine or something like that, or Weak. just shy thirty eight. <clears throat> and I managed to. Uh, I think do like 29 um, wounds or something like that. And uh, so my, my unit of 20 skeletons, which are probably my pride and joy of that army a little bit, yeah. uh, took out a Celestin Prime in two rounds. So uh, I felt kind of bad about that uh, because, you know, you, you hate to, you know, deflating the toys on the table. But I, I felt just proud that I executed something. Um, and that does not... My second game goes a little bit like that, but after that, kind of the more, um, I guess, usual deployment that you're used to. I kind of went back to eighth, and I'm like, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a strategy. <laughs> so, because of the weird deployment, it forced me to strategize a bit more, and it, it ended up just working in my favor. So it was a lot of fun, and Andrea was great to play against, and I got to sit and talk with her for. You know, half hour um, or so while we were kind of in between games and stuff, and so that was a lot of fun to, especially to just meet another person that I'd known on Twitter and never met in person because I don't go to tournaments and you know shoot the breeze and and have some fun. So that was my, I think more than winning the game, getting to talk to Andrea afterwards was probably a highlight of that game for sure. Yeah. Uh, How about you, David? Uh, well, see, game one I was playing against uh, Tupper. 
He brought his Stormcast. He's traditionally played a lot of Dwarf. Every time I've seen him before, he's, he's been a Dwarf player. But uh, busted out some Stormcast. They look pretty cool. Had a nice white, black, and red color scheme that I thought was pretty groovy. Uh, and it was a little skewed in my favor as a scenario because he's he uh, wasn't using formations. I, I think they actually weren't allowed in this event, which is uh, especially a bummer for Stormcast, I think. But... Uh, he was ground pounders, he spread a little wide, and I was able to use my speed to kind of punch through one side and then bravely run away uh, and uh, push my numbers <laughs> up um, with a little bit of summoning too. Um, I'd say the only significant uh, strategic thing I, I got out of the way early was I, I kind of peace traded my man of entry, gave him up um, in exchange for uh, baiting a charge from the Dracoth, the Celestinon Dracoth, which is a the fastest, one of the fastest guys he had. He also had a few prosecutors, um, but uh, that guy was fast and hard hitting. So I gave him a man of intrigue in order to uh, knock out his Dracoth, and then I could uh, move a little more safely around the board. So I, I got to come out of that with the big, the big win, which was groovy. But uh, Tup was super fun to play, and uh, it sounds like they're playing a, a fair amount in his in his neck of the woods. Um, I think, uh, man, I'm gonna get this wrong. I think he said he was from Peoria, um, but it sounds like they're yep. pretty motivated. That was that was cool to uh, to hear about that. So um, I had a great game. I, I got to, in previous years. I got to play play like a um, what was the the multiplayer variation of Eighth that existed? It was the uh, oh Triumph and Treachery? He and I got to team up in Triumph and Treachery last year, so it was good to face him across the board this time. So nice, but, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so interesting, rounds were only an hour and a half long, uh, and I was especially impressed by your game, Eric, because I saw you and Andrea chatting, which meant that you somehow finished uh, in under <laughs> an hour and a half, which is pretty freaking fast. I mean, they're, they're relatively small games, but um, I think we talked a little on the on the way in that, you know, you had to keep uh, moving at a decent clip if you wanted to try to get most of your, most of your rounds in. Yeah. yeah, I think that'll be an interesting thing to chat about <laughs> as kind of the wrap-up of because I feel like most of the games I was able to get through a decent amount, more rounds than I expected to, mm -hmm. um, given our, our practice games, Davey. Yep. I think even with, with Andrea, I think I sent, mentioned, we're only going to get through three rounds. I th we ended up, I think, four and could have gone more. Yeah. Um, but again, part of that, you know, knowing what you're going to do or how your army plays, et cetera. But yeah, it was, I was impressed with that too in that it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel too crazy um it was it was the right amount of time for what we were doing i think so yeah. it was good it was good so uh we rolled into round two and for this it was uh the deciding was uh controlling terrain in the previous um in the previous scenario it was number of models in the opposing half mm -hmm. uh in this it was number of wounds um, uh controlling certain terrain pieces which were identified uh, <coughs> excuse me and additionally, uh, the deployment was, was even weirder than before. This is You could deploy anywhere. You did an alternating drop where the units would deploy anywhere on the battlefield and then you know, it would kind of uh, create bubbles around them uh, in which the enemy could not deploy. So you had some really uh, unconventional deployment, and then units were limited in their movement options for the first round, I think is the best way we could sum that up. So, uh, Paul, who did you get to play this time? Uh, second game was against Johnny Hastings. So, again, another absolutely gorgeous army. Uh, he was playing his ogres, um, which are all minotaurs. 
that he's converted up the old like fourth fifth ed metals uh basically with just some intensely heavy conversion and a ton of uh green stuff etc so a gorgeous army yeah so you had um, the uh the one two of rotor and hastings so you you got to yep gaze upon some pretty models <laughs> Yeah, I, I got best painted from last year, my first game, and from this year, my second game. So that was pretty fun. Um, so with the bubble deployment, we I ended up dropping all my stuff um, kind of in a big circle. And then Johnny was basically in the middle of the big circle. He had a unit of um, not hunters, but uh, man-eaters. He had a unit of man-eaters that had a couple of different shooting options, and then he had a big unit of uh, Iron Guts uh, on uh, a couple other characters and sa- uh, Saber Tusks running around and stuff like that. Um, and so it ended up being a game where the Maneaters were definitely doing a decent amount of damage to me because they had that nice shooting And I... The command ability was kind of crazy in this one. It allowed you to force one model in your opponent's army to not be able to move. They could uh, they could char or they could pile in, but they couldn't move or charge. But they got a plus one to their armor save, I believe, and a plus one to their bravery. I think we maybe remember uh, differently. Uh, I, I think it locked down almost every movement type, uh, but granted re-rolls to saves. Does that sound a little yes. more? Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's probably correct. Uh, and so I used that on his unit of bulls first round. Um, and then I immediately got a second turn. So I went. He went first, and then I got a back-to-back turn. And then I ended up going after the man-eaters, and at, even having been a fast army in eighth, I was still really surprised at how fast the army was moving around. And I ended up taking out the man-eaters, but my army, by that point, I had pulled myself apart, basically. So in order to go back and get the terrain features, I ended up not having enough strength left to be able to take down that big unit of bulls. It ended up killing both my Arachnoraks. Uh, and I ended up contesting the objective, so I got a point uh, but Johnny ended up getting uh, Johnny ended up getting more points than I did from that game, if I recall correctly. So it was it was a lot of fun, and it felt like I was in it again, but ended up losing the game. So yeah, so my um, turn two was Alex Gonzalez um, playing his Tomb Kings. Super awesome and, guy. I got to play him at uh, Merry Mayhem back in 2014. Had an amazing game where he tolerated me uh, <laughs> quite well, despite the fact that I drank too much beer by like 11 in the morning. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> and we're playing well, dwarves, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I was dwarves. I was combat dwarves. That's that's uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, those are those are old times. Carry on, Alex Gonzalez, Tomb Kings. Yeah. So uh, my my favorite thing about this game was that he was playing, so he was playing all Tomb Kings, but he had a a Bone Giant as well and had a different interpretation of the Bone Giant's rules, uh, which I really enjoyed (laughs) because I'd been playing the Bone Giant where um, he has a five-up 
um, that he gets an immediate second pile in the in the first combat uh, of the turn. But I'd been playing that that I'd read it that it felt like it was the first combat of the game. Yep. Uh, but he was mm-hmm. the wording doesn't really say that. It's uh, every turn, the first combat, he has an opportunity to do a second pile in. Um, and so I was like, really? <coughs> really? And unfortunately, my bone jet was dead by the time we were talking about this uh, because it was mine, mine died. To, and then his was doing every turn. I'm like, wait a minute. And he's like, no, I can do that. I was like, oh, man. So <laughs> Wait until uh, I tell Davey about this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> His cyborg's going to die a lot more now. Um, so um, so that was cool. Um, I basically got Kalita and uh, 20 archers to the face um, a bunch of times. Um, but really what just saved me is I, I pressured those archers a little bit by summoning some archers into the, some woods, shooting at Kalita, doing some wounds. He, he deferred one round of shooting towards them which allowed my graveguard to survive long enough to uh, hold the most territory, most terrain pieces at the end of the game. And I got, uh, um, I didn't hold, I think I had hold two of the three or all three to get the maximum. I think I only got three points on that one. Um, So I got a a minor win, um, which I didn't think I was going to pull out, but just kind of like was steadfast. I had a survivable unit. Um, Those graveguards sitting in terrain or, are doing pretty good against that shooting. So, um, so yeah, because there's a rend of zeros, so they get yeah, an extra point with sure. their grip shield. So their banner keeps adding guys back. So. Yep, yep. And that uh, he had a couple of you know, scorpions crawling around trying to kill him. I think I would have um, done even better to to um, threaten because my gri- yeah the bone giant tried to go after the archers first round and got shot off. Um, had I pressured them with the my uh, lich priest and you know some um, what you would call it you know d3 wound type mortal wound type stuff um, arcane bolt I think I you know would have had that a little more maybe a little bit more terrain and could have gotten the, the major but it was it was a good game it was he was apologizing for Kalita and, and them. And I was like, <laughs> I think the thing is, like I said, is it only took me pressuring them one round to make them a little less effective, right? Sure. Um, enough to, to hold what I needed to hold. And I think if you just know that, if you know how to deal with it, it's not overwhelming, right? Mm. Uh, so it's, it's just knowing what, what's on the table and how to deal with it. And so um, I know hard feelings here, like I said, and then he and I got to talk a little bit about, uh, um, Adepticon coming up. I'm not playing there, but it was cool just hearing him talk about what he's doing, what he's what he's into, and the sad part is he's not on Twitter. Um, I was like, I wanted to follow him on oh, Twitter, yeah. on Twitter, um, because he he's he he gets so much um, negativity thrown at him right now, um, and so anybody out there that is uh, you know working with Alex or um, knows Alex or whatever. You know, give him whatever support you can for for Adepticon, um, and anybody out there who's hating and directing that towards him, just knock it off. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it was great to meet him and and to play against him, and I learned a lot of good things about uh, my army. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it was a really good good fun game, and again, good conversation afterwards, which 
you know, made it even better. So. Nice. Where were you at, Davey? I was over, I was actually playing John Wenger, so not only was it a Chaos versus Chaos, but it was a Warriors versus Warriors, and not only was it a Warriors versus Warriors, but it was a Slanish versus Slanish, which was uh, pretty fun. That's, yeah. It was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so You don't you, usually play that way. Yeah, I mean, right. Just say uh, we we kind of both knew that um, at least because they this uh, tournament was offering best in best uh, grand alliance awards, uh, so we knew that this was was pretty high stakes here uh, as far as that goes because somehow we're the only two chaos players in it anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, uh, Winger's army was a little bit slower uh, than mine didn't didn't have as much of the speed. Um, it was it still had some very fast elements had. Uh, had a hell cannon, which was uh, terrifying, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he uh, had the ability to summon de a demon prince, which he managed to do on turn one. Um, so <laughs> even though even though on the next turn I, I think I one shotted his uh, his chaos sorcerer with my Saigor, uh most of the damage had already been done. There was just a uh, just one fiend of slanish that was left to be that could not be summoned because it uh, didn't have anyone cast it, but. Uh, he took the first turn, uh, did some pretty heavy damage. His cockatrice managed with that crazy deployment ended up behind me, and uh, I thought I overcommitted to to knock it out. I apparently undercommitted because it chewed up like almost everything <laughs> that came at it. It was crazy, um, but I did manage to remove his sorcerer and his hell cannon early on, which removed some sources of hell um, of the mortal wounds. And then uh, with my speed, I could there were kind of these three crucial terrain pieces, right? And I was able to. Uh, threaten the one that he had, uh, and then eventually force him to kind of walk across, slow him down enough that he couldn't uh, do something. And I was able to um, redeploy and manage to, at the last minute, kind of secure the one that the cockatrice had fought um, off every single thing I threw at it. I finally managed to take it out with my general. Okay. Um, and uh, only by a couple of wounds did I manage to actually... Uh, Establish control over the the sort of central most uh, most easily contested objective. So I walked out of that with a three one uh, victory. Had a great game. Uh, the uh, Wenger Wenger plays with uh, Alex Gonzalez. I think he's from that same posse, and uh, it was clear that those guys play a lot. Like he he knew all this stuff backwards and forwards. Um, it was the same experience I had playing against Alex, where I'm I'm not used to getting. Uh, corrected on rules or reminded of, of stuff. I, I usually feel pretty squared away on that, but he, he was uh he was setting me straight in like the, the nicest way possible. It was not it was not a negative experience at all. It was really awesome. Um and uh it was cool. We we I mean I burned a lot of brain cells trying to think about that game and uh just you know, got that those early uh big swings with the the Hell Cannon and the Sorcerer kinda helped me uh, grind it out for the uh, for the win there. So yeah, I played winger at Mary Mayhem ago, <laughs> and yeah, I really enjoyed his style of gameplay. And you know, talking through things. Um, if there was a question, you know, he talked through it, and I remember there being something where I was, you know, maybe disagreed or not. It, it wasn't totally. And he was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, it was so yeah. like totally great attitude towards playing, and uh, yeah, definitely a um, asset to the community for sure that he's still playing Age of Sigmar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't remember. This This might have been the break for lunch, but uh, nobody wants to, yep. to hear about that. So, um, yeah, we had 
we we were rolling back from that and I had uh, a chicken sandwich. Yeah. No, no I had a mushroom burger. Thrilling. I will I guarantee I'm not gonna edit this out. Uh onion rings. <laughs> yeah. Uh came back game three, Paul. Um we were running oh. a scenario here that was uh determined by could you kill the enemy general and kill the enemy most expensive unit while keeping the same on your side alive. And uh, yeah. who did you end up uh, playing for that? I ended up playing Tupper, uh, who you played in the first round, right? <coughs> yep, that's right. Uh, and so he had his Stormcast Eternals. Um, again, I also enjoyed the... There's a little bit of an alternative color scheme, so that was nice. Um, I think Tupper said he painted them in four weeks, too, so that was pretty impressive. Um, uh, but from my recollection, he basically had... Uh, two sets of the starter set yep. for the Stormcast Eternals. Yep. Uh, but he only had one Drakoth and one Lord Relictor. Yeah. Uh, which I, I really liked. I, I was looking to see if I could swap my Bloodbound for my starter set for that after <laughs> playing the game with him. Um, but his largest point unit was a unit of Retributors, and his general was his Lord Celestine, or his, not his Lord Celestine, but his, um, his Lord Relictor. Oh, interesting. And... So basically what he did is he he set it up so that the Lord Relictor and the Retributors were in back of the line of basically the rest of his army. And uh, I haven't really talked about what was in my army, um, but my army was basically just uh, two Arachnoraks, three units of Spider Riders, and then a couple of Lord uh, or Goblin Heroes on Gigantic Spiders. Um, and the Goblin Heroes were the only characters that I had in the whole army, so I didn't have an access to magic or anything like that. So I had some shooting, but it didn't really do much. Yeah. So I basically just tried to punch through and I managed to um, take out all of his prosecutors, which is a unit of, I think, uh, at least ten. Um, I think you're... And I managed of, uh, liberators? Prosecutors of flying Yeah, sorry, the liberators. Yeah. Yeah. I... I took out the unit of the prosecutors on the right-hand side, and then I took out the unit of liberators um, directly in front, but ended up running out of time and models to be able to take out the Lord Relictor and the unit of prosecutors. Um, they were a bit of a heavy hit um, counter charge, as it were, on my units at the end of the game. Uh, so ended up being another hard loss, but another great game. Tupper was the first person I played... Um, in any kind of a non-hometown setting uh, Warhammer ever. So it's always a pleasure to play Tupper again. Nice. Yeah. And then it was the Battle of the Madisonians. Yeah. <laughs> a realm's off, Nurgle, right? On the Nurgle table. It was uh, me versus Davey, and I uh, went over and I looked at the sheet, and I saw it, and I looked across the room, and I pointed at Davey. I pointed back at myself, <laughs> and then I think I did one of those slit your throat motions with my thumb or something. Yeah, I was um, very intimidated. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> was just working every angle I could. So, David, we played this one, or had we played all the other ones, but this one. <laughs> this, this is the only one we hadn't played. Which, <laughs> enough, so. so it was probably good that we played this one together. Yeah, and uh, I would say it's uh, it's not well. It might be the most conventional. Like it's it's the. Um, the least wild and crazy of the scenarios would be my yeah. contention. But. 
I would say it's probably the most out of the box AOS with yep. the sudden yep. death scenarios, right? Yep. Um, so we picked a, a long deployment. I think we rolled off and I got to pick. You did? Yeah. Um, the, the, the slice of the pie. Yep. And I picked uh, down on the short sides. Yep. Trying to uh, limit what um, advantages I could bring with speed was my presumption. What yep. you're doing there. So. I didn't want to give you as much. Um, but, I, but I also don't think I used it as much to my advantage. Uh, in the deployment, either. Um, um, and then we, yeah, we deploy. You got to pick which side you deployed on. Yep. Uh, I always picked the side with the better Nurgle turds terrain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I picked the side. I, I picked. Uh, I picked the side where uh, it would put you on one where if you wanted to set up your Fort Awesome, uh, it would be in a kind of awkward spot, which would hopefully force you. It would. It would force you either to come closer or be in a in a less comfortable position because I've tried to I've tried to take down uh, castle casket and uh, it's it's a tough sell. So. Well, and I mean I mean all of that train was a little uncomfortable. Just yeah, no, actually, it. true. So. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how you could objectively determine there was a better Nurgle turd side. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's and that was hard because it. The funny thing about the terrain is it was definitely eighth edition terrain, um, because either you could set a block on it or you could, you know what I mean. It yeah. wasn't meant for individual models climbing on it, it was, and stuff. It was but it was to clamber through. It, it was, was still funny. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, we deployed down. And I so I had two things. So we had to get um, the the my my general. I think I chose my uh, man of intrigue. Um, yeah. Partially because I wanted to use my other. My my magicians, my magic users, my wizards, my necros, and um, so I put him as general because he had decent stats, and I uh, shielded him with my casket and my um, squeaking skull catapult, and then I put a uh, bubble of my skeleton warriors around the backside. I guess. Yep. Um, my grave guard, I think, were off to one side. They're uh, kind of doing a big skirmish line to keep me from zipping past. Yeah. And then my my only chance, the only fast thing in my, I guess not only, my necros are fast, but you have shooting, a little bit of shooting, so I thought they were going to, I don't think I totally deployed right, but um, I thought my best shot getting either your big unit or your general was to, put my most expensive unit out in front <laughs> for for you to put your whole army to bear against. <laughs> Which I did. Which, no, I don't think you did. I think you just put your uh didn't didn't uh <coughs> your marauder cab take it out. <laughs> uh they they did some damage. They they threw some beefy oh, yeah. javelins at it. Uh, and then your seekers I eventually eventually got it with the knights, which is the way it's gotta be. That we we've played this uh, a number of times and it's the knights can can take down that bone giant, but uh, they have to have the charge and they have to swing before the bone giant because he can he can do a number on them. So. Yeah. So I I think in that I, I mean I I think I I did not need to put my bone giant out, but I was like I need to try and get points, and so I was like it was a it was a either a all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah. Well, not even all or nothing. It was for if I got one of those things. Eric, we might have lost you. Do you still hear us? Yeah, it felt, it felt like my best bet. Can you hear me? 
Uh, we can now. So, we didn't hear that whole part. No. Yep, we, we lost it from about so, uh, 20 seconds ago. Okay, so yeah, I, I, I felt like the, yeah, the Bone Giant putting him out there was my, maybe my best bet with the Necrode maybe doing some damage, but uh, you got a double turn, I think, um, which, so you brought guys up. I got the, did I get the first turn? Uh, you did choose to take first turn, and this is this is an interesting choice for you because you do with the catapult. You had some shooting, so there were some advantages to doing so. Um, but it did yep. give me the chance at the second, uh, the you know the the first uh, possibility of double turn. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I think, with how we were deployed and and what you needed to do, because I put my bone giant out front. Usually, I like the second opportunity of double turn, like after things are in the mix. Yeah. Um, but because this was frontline guys, that first double turn was really good for you. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the bone giant, I don't think got a, I mean, it got a little swing in the first turn, whiffed a little bit and then, uh, yeah, went down. So that was my big unit. And then you came back for my other unit, but I don't, I think we ended up in the third or fourth round. Yeah. We I think third round. It, it, I would have been hard pressed, uh, to, uh, to clean up. I mean, you just you still had a, a lot of stuff, uh, I think it could have happened with a lot more turns because I was I was in a um, advantageous position, but I don't know that I even with unlimited time I don't know that I would have uh, closed it out with uh, win a reasonable number of turns. So. Yeah, and you managed both of my my casters in that like second or third turn, so I don't think I would have been able to summon my ten archers to add any more to that bubble. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think in, in time you probably could have gotten the rest of it. Yeah. Um, I just think that, you know, sitting back with the, you know, general and the bone giant way in the back on a turd was going to be the most fun game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I went for it and, um, in the end, I think it worked out well for team mortal realms. Yeah. So, well, I, I, uh, talking about that double turn situation, I, I came up real conservatively with the Knights cause I knew they were. You know, a lot of points. Uh, yeah, as far yeah. As this. Your chaos, your chaos knights have to be the the biggest like pussy cats, <laughs> like ever. The way you play them, <laughs> you, you, you got to let all the unworthies take all the hits before you, and then you can have all the glory when you come in for the charge. But even though we played a whole bunch, you, I remember in this one, you're asking, you're like, like, why don't you, why aren't you charging them into you know my archers? I'm like, well, I get them a little too close to your bone giant. You might, you might get a long charge off on them, and I, I can't afford to risk that possibility. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, your your uh, champion is like, ah, no, 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 we're not going to charge this yeah, time. We, exactly. We've got to conserve our energy. We've got to make sure that yeah, it was pretty funny. Yep, but uh, it was it was uh, it was a fun one, and uh, so bounced out of that. I was I was sitting pretty. Uh, yeah, and both and tied at seven points, and you so that gave you a minor win, so another three, so you went up to ten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which launched us on to game four, and this one was uh, your man of intrigue got buffed up, so he's uh, he's eight wounds with a four up save, and on a four up, he can ship uh, mortal wounds or wounds onto a unit within three. So you, uh, statistically speaking, if you're not creating rend, you need to lay like 32 wounds on this dude to take him down. And that presumes your army has no capability of healing. So he's, he's tough to kill. You get a major win for killing him before turn four. Uh, and then a minor win if you kill him on turn five and there is no turn six. Uh, so Paul, you, uh, who's, who's man of intrigue? Were you trying to throttle? I was trying to throttle Alan. Uh, I, oh, nice. I can't remember his last name. 
Yeah. Um, but he was playing an order army of mostly dark elves. Um, and uh, we were on the lowest table. Yeah, this is Alan oh. Summervald. I, I got to play him last year, and it was he was the happiest dude I've ever played, and, and uh, it looked like you guys were enjoying yourselves, too. But yeah, yeah um, it was a really fun game, mostly in part because uh, I put forth the suggestion. We were on the one of the jungle boards that they have there, and they have some huge painted rivers on the board, and then they have some 3D bridges that go across it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Alan gamely accepted my challenge that we make all the rivers impassable. Holy cow. And so we were actually fighting over these bridges. Wow. Um, That's pretty fun. So, yeah. So I positioned my Man of Intrigue and three of my heroes on Gigantic <laughs> Spider on the left-hand side of the board, basically in this little island that only had one little bridge access off of it. And then the rest of my army went off to the right, or there's a little bit more room. And then there was a large bridge across to a smaller island. And then there was a third island in between my side of the table and Alan's side of the table that was connected by a small bridge to both sides. Uh, and so my plan was to get my heroes on Gigantic Spider across to that middle island. And then I'd be defending from two sides if you manage to get the elves all the way across. Uh, and have my man of intrigue kind of in a pretty secure location. Um, unfortunately, it ended up backfiring a bit because Alan got a double turn after the first turn, and he ended up taking the the center island before I did, um, and that put me on a pretty large back foot to be able to get his man of intrigue because his man of intrigue was on the opposite side of the board on that third small island in his deployment zone. Um, and so it was a bit of a back and forth, and there is a bit of a grudge back going back and forth because we were playing for last place. Nice. And we had these reroll tokens. Oh, yeah. And the reroll tokens buffed your points. If you ended up getting last, it helped you win a tie. Yeah. And I had no tokens, and Alan had four. Oof. And so... <coughs> He uh, he used all four of them oh, man. early on in the game to just try and get points, and and then I immediately turned around and used them again because I didn't want them. And the rules said that you, if you had them, you could use them. And so I think they all ended up trading sides three or four times over the course of the game. Oh, crazy! As we we kept trying to uh, not end up with the the coins. Uh, but at the very end of the game, it ended up just getting too carried away with the narrative. Um, he had his Hydra blocking the large bridge from both of my Arachnoroks to get across to get to his Man of Intrigue. Um, and with some judicious use of the coins, I ended up killing the Hydra and then managing to kill the unit of Dark Riders behind it in one round of combat which then put me across uh, and in prime position to take out his man of intrigue. Um, but of course, at that point, there had been much drinking and there was much shouting, and it was a fantastic time, and I completely lost my goal of taking last because I took out his <laughs> man of intrigue and ended up winning the game. Oh, no. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was a fantastic 
experience. Um, so it, it was a really great game to end the tournament on. It was, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, so I played in the fourth round. Evan uh, Ronrude out of uh, uh, Decora, not Decora, sorry. Um, oh, Dev, what's the town? Uh, are you thinking of Iowa here? Yeah, Des Moines. No, not Des Moines, not Davenport. Um, Dubuque. Dubuque. Stupid. Decor, Decor was pretty close. That was you were all Decor, yeah, Decor Decor. was pretty close. Yeah, one of those D towns in Iowa. <laughs> um, so he had he's come up to Madison a few times for for some gaming and stuff like that. So it was good seeing him uh, down there. He had painted up uh, High Elf Army in a week uh, for the event. Oh, yeah. um, I did not and uh, and what's what you mostly need to know is there was two bolt throwers. <laughs> <laughs> And my uh, man of intrigue did not hide well enough uh, from the bolt throwers, but it was—I think it was—ended up being turn three or I think four, turn three, maybe that he died. Um, and up until that point, it looked like I could potentially pull it off. Um, I had uh, a necrotect, which I found as much as it was cool to give the um, the bone giant. A plus one to that um, roll for a double pile in. Um, it actually he ended up doing more for the grave guard to give them plus three movement. Um, so they were able to run pretty far in. I mean, in their uh, first round, and then with their with you know basically giving them a seven inch just walk. Yeah, um, and then guaranteeing a charge into his, um, I think Phoenix guard, um, the, by turn two or, you know, my second turn meant that I was, that was the unit that was primarily screening his uh, men of interest. And then, um, so that, that was, they were the, you know, most useful in going in and just taking out a lot of the, the risk. I had also, um, been pairing up my bone giant and my my lich priest um so that i could you know kind of protect and cast you know summon some things or you know whatever um or give him a plus one to his save or something and i ended up uh, moving him around a flank against two um dragon princes um if i get that right or elf you know whatever the high elf yeah i think they're dragon princes right and so two of them came and he had, I, you know, I think I had gotten first turn and moved them up and they came over to either side and it was kind of like they both had their spears and they're like, you know, think of two um, animal control guys with their long poles trying to keep a bear from, you know, mauling either of them. Uh, and uh, it was cool because they charged in and, and uh, um, he, he did damage, you know, one or two wounds with one of the dragon princes, but they had both charged in. So my bone giant, what did he do? He turned around and smacked the other one into oblivion. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I got, was able to then in my next turn, just flee, just run away from him. Cause it wasn't really that big of a risk to, you know, stay there and fight. And I ended up being able to summon uh, my horse archers in order to go and charge into the, try and pin his man of intrigue um, so that it would just be a round of combat so that my bone giant could eventually get over there. Um, 
and that just might they ended up bouncing um if i had gotten one more turn i maybe could have you know gotten the bone giant and the grave guard into that guy i don't or at least you know i probably would have needed a turn and a half so um but it was it was an interesting you know contest over there on that side and I just needed a bigger screen for the man of intrigue. I need a, <laughs> I needed a smaller man of intrigue and a, a bigger uh, wall. <laughs> so uh, I, know, I guess I'll say my man of intrigue. Um, I don't know if I posted it. I think I've got it on my YouTube channel, but I haven't, I don't know that I posted him on Twitter um, is an ogre death um, necromancer. Um, it's a, is the um, butcher model but highly converted. He's got his hands up in the air um, and he's got a spirit host coming out of the back of his pants. Uh, so he's, he's a big model. that's easy to spot. And so he just <laughs> stood out amongst all of his, uh, I was trying to dish wounds and I was rolling terrible for, for the, basically that uh, dishing to the, yeah. That four up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I was, I was rolling pretty poor to that. And then, yeah, just bolt throwers. I don't need to say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, uh, but Davey, you had a you had a pretty good last game. I did actually got to play Rotor, which is the first time uh, I'd gotten to play with him. He was a real chill, chill fella, and uh, enjoyed it. And got to look at his pretty models. Um, we had play tested this and come to a draw. I think you and I, without we might not have even put wounds on each other's man of intrigue. And so going to this, I was like, man, I need uh, I need pressure, and I need pressure early. And uh, managed to knock out the engine of the gods with a knight charge, but then kind of lost my knights, or they got super bogged down. But uh, anytime I had an opportunity to try to put some damage on the Man of Intrigue, uh, I, I took it at the uh, cost of doing damage to other people. So Saigor pegged him in the head with a rock, put some early damage, and I think I snuck a uh, an arcane bolt through um, for a little bit more damage, which put him on the run. And then, uh, excitingly enough, um, the Chaos Lord of... Uh, of Slanish on a steed, the, the quote-unquote boob worm, who'd already uh, given <laughs> the, the uh, hellish swiftness to the knights to give them a double pile to kill the uh, engine of the gods. He actually ended up using the double pile on my javelin marauder cav, uh, who were able to use their feigned flight. They were able to retreat from combat, and their special rule, they get to still shoot and charge. So instead of being bogged down in the central combat, they were able to break off uh, run you know, in an incredibly marauder-like way, you know, marauder cab. It, it, it was cool because <laughs> it fitted their fitted their role. They were able to run, throw a bunch of javelins, and kept on uh, harrying this dude, and uh, uh, managed to managed to take him down uh, right in turn four. Kind of my my last chance at the at the major victory for this scenario. So got got fortunate, pulled that off. It, it came down to I think we were on a one four up dice roll uh, at the end of turn four. Would I would I be able to get it? And it, it fell in my favor. Uh, my other takeaway from the game was uh, Ripper Dactyls. I again because I was spending <laughs> all this attention on the Man of Intrigue. I made a conscious decision. I was like, ah, I need to do something about those Ripper Dactyls. And I was like, you know what? No, I, I'll take my punch from them. I gotta, I gotta devote resources to the Man of Intrigue. And uh, I definitely took my punch. They one rounded my Saigor and then tied down my Chaos Lord <laughs> for a long time. Um, They're brutal. They are. They are rough. Yeah, he. It was one of those things where you're like, ah. He's like, do you think I should stop rolling? I was like, sure. Like, let's just see if you've killed me with this. Yep. Okay, you've <laughs> killed me. You could have gone on for a lot longer if you wanted. So I don't want to deny you rolling a bunch of dice, but yeah, he was cool about it. 
he yeah, uh, and he also he was uh I hid my man of entry kind of in the back, not with a lot of units to ship wounds to. I was just trying to rather than protect him with a unit, I was protecting him with a location, and uh, I'd kind of forgotten about him because I thought he was safe in these. These skinks were running around the back with javelins. I'm like, what are these skinks doing? This makes no sense why he's running back there. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God. My man of intrigue is back here. Like, let me, <laughs> let me, let me do something about that. And so I brought in some demonettes who, uh, who blocked it off. But, um, yeah, that was that was an interesting one. He, he summed everything in his. I got my demonettes out. So, uh, But, yeah, came with the with the big win on a, on a lucky last four up. So it was a... Uh, it was a really good game. Uh, it was I'd I'd gone into it knowing that uh, the the Skull Bros, at least uh, Rotor and Broska, were going to be there. I was hoping I'd get to get a chance to play one of them. So I was I was happy to have done that. And uh, uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty cool. So uh, that wrapped up the game four. Um, four games in one day. A long time since I've done that. Yeah, and then yeah. we went and grabbed some food. Right? Was that? Yep. Way after that. A little little bit of food. I. Uh, I ended up back in the room staring at the ceiling, not quite falling asleep, but um, trying to uh, rally so that I could enjoy the evening uh, a little bit. And, uh, and we I, I didn't get a chance to lay down because I had to. I we had the idea to give out. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mixed mixed CDs, yeah. like you give you know your your girlfriend back in the day. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and so I wanted to customize them with. It was our five episodes so far, and I uh, wanted to put a kind of a a love song title for each of the episodes and wrote them on there, and then uh, um, we customized them to each of our opponents, uh, Davey and I did. Yeah. Um, well, I shamelessly so, threw you under the bus and let you do all the handwriting. Hey, that, you know, yeah, so. Well, we, I just didn't know what your handwriting was like, so Terrible. I wasn't going to risk it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so, um, yeah, so, yeah, I just worked on that while you took a, you know, just took a little breather and, uh, we got refreshed. Um, and then we, uh, I think, uh, you know, Paul, you got to do a little dip in the pool. Yeah. I went into the hot tub. It's great. Nice. Yeah. It's key. I mean, and yeah. a long day of age of Sigmar and then some hot tub, I think was the right move. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we headed back over for for the evening ceremony. And Opening uh, ceremony, yeah. <laughs> events. So um, what was cool is so we're all kind of gathering in and uh, everybody got back around and the theme for the year uh, was uh, Fury Road. Yeah. And, uh, and well, actually somehow I managed, I've not seen this movie prior to PACA, so uh, after PACA <laughs> I had to go watch it because... I, I knew what was, I was like, oh, this is some Mad Max stuff, but, like, the Raj looks insane in his, like, I thought he was in drag, uh, but he was, he was. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the guys throwing, putting the event on came out in their, uh, um, oh, what is it called, the. Um, war boy. Yeah, war boy get-ups and, and stuff like that. So it was, it was pretty hilarious. They went all out. I had. This is my first Wapaka. Davey, have they gone this crazy before? Uh, Paul can answer that a little bit better. He's been to a, more than more than I have. Well, the one that sticks out in my mind is uh, the Skull Bros entrance. I don't know if it was last year or the year before. They all went into the hallway and then it came out in luchador masks. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, yeah, my personal favorite um, was the uh, the American luchador taunting the Englishman <laughs> across the room. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's been a thing for teams to get a little bit crazy, but uh, I, I don't remember specifically the Point Boys going crazy. And if, if I might take a little aside here, like the Bear just went crazy with the cosplaying. Uh, I was looking at the Raj's breastplate, and not only had he done a pretty accurate rendition of the costume from the movie itself, he'd actually customized it to be Warhammer based. <laughs> So nice. he had used like uh, orc uh, icons from the Stampa to go on the medals, and one of the medals was a, a forty millimeter round base. Nice. And um, he had strung dice along as like epaulets, and just it, it was just ridiculous how many different uh, little details he had put on there. So it, it was really impressive, in my opinion. And then, <laughs> then they had like. Uh, Bubbles and, and Gerald and all of them walking out without shirts on. And Gerald was in a mask with a leash. It was... I, I wasn't sure exactly what was going on until the Raj came in. And then I'm not sure if I was like, actually like, oh, okay, I understand this now. Or, yeah, I still don't exactly understand what's going on. But I guess we're just going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, it was... But anytime you go all out like that and bring a, it brought a ton of energy um oh, yeah. uh to the to the night and uh you know everybody had been playing some different games and that sort of stuff uh and uh you know we all kind of came together for the opening ceremonies um they went around and introduced all the different clubs um that had banners uh and they, they pretty you know have to so I think it, had we had a banner we might have had to talk to them and you know pretend like we were competing yeah i i think it was they, they were talking to anyone who was you know making a making a run at trying to uh get the yep. the team awards so. yep yep so uh got around to the different teams and it was it was cool that that was still a thing you know and the teams were bringing people f- that played different games um so the team you know if they were playing most of the teams had people that are playing Age of Sigmar and Infinity and 40K and whatever. So that was really cool that I, I got to imagine that some of that kind of open multi-game con feel and that goodwill had to have been kind of trickling back to just in anticipation of the event yeah. back to local communities to say, hey, it doesn't matter what you're playing. We can all go to Wapak together and represent you know our area or our whatever, which is was really cool. Well, and to tie it back into the, I think what was in, might have been in the earlier recording, everybody had to have a fully painted army, even if you were playing just pickup games on the side of the event. Yeah. So it wasn't only just seeing amazingly beautiful Warhammer armies, because there is the AOS tournament, there was the AFED tournament, um, there is all this stuff going on, but everything was beautifully painted. It was... You know, like, even just <laughs> stuff going on on the side at the pickup games, you lost points if your army wasn't fully painted. So it, it was just, it was really, really impressive. Yeah, I, I thought that was added to that. And to be clear, we only we were only there for the one the one day and night, and uh, uh, and we still got a pretty, I mean, I felt like we got a good sense of what was going on um, from that respect, and it was, it was pretty cool. So... so- most important 
came the awards, most important by far. Um, and they went through um, every game system. Got had so since each game had a different TO, um, the TO would go up and they so they went game system by game system and announced uh, the the winners of different awards. Um, <coughs> and uh, if it if you haven't been following us on Twitter and don't already know, uh, Davey took both the best chaos general and best overall general for our AOS tournament. Yeah, yep. it, was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty fun. I, I, I uh, it was a small event, uh, but, uh, I've never, I've never, I've always, not always, I've, I, in the past danced around a podium every once in a while. So it was nice to, nice to get that. And I got, uh, a super cool Hellblade, uh, like a like a blood letter carries that uh, Chad had done up. It was really awesome, and then the yeah. and the plaque, and uh, the wife had no idea what to do with it when, uh, when I <laughs> walked in the door with it at the end of the weekend. So yeah, Alex uh, Gonzalez won uh, best undead and got the bone sword. Yep, his Tomb Kings. So I'll note as well Tom McClure uh, from that uh, Peoria um, kind of area um, club. Um, got uh, was also playing um, undead yeah. um, death, and uh, he did not win. F- you know, so the three of us were rooting or going for that, um, but he won um, best sports. Yeah, and I think I think it was just through a hug campaign. Uh, <laughs> He's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He didn't bring cookies this year. I was disappointed. He was what? In the past, he's brought cookies. <laughs> he had the last two opponents during his games. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He, yeah. Oh. Uh, and then, and then uh, uh, best uh, order was uh, Ronarud, I believe. Yep. Yep. Got, uh, got a sweet retributor hammer. Oh, uh, that thing's so cool. And uh, best destruction was Braska, if I'm not mistaken. He got a kind of orc right, chopper. Right. Yep. Yep. For yep. his uh, ogres. Yep. Um, so, and then uh, best painted uh, went to Johnny Hastings for that amazing um, uh, bull ogre army, um, which yeah, I got a chance to sit really close to that and stare at it for a little while, and like just flawless, like every detail. Yeah, um, was really cool. It, and what was cool about this though uh, is uh, people were coming over, and I mean, so Johnny Hastings winning a painting award comes as no surprise to anyone. Uh, what was what was cool was that uh, your between your conversions, your projects, your all cohesive theme, and this display board, you had a lot of people come over and take a look, uh, including the paint judges. Uh, and uh, they, apparently, you were in the the conversation uh, for for some of that. And given the competition again, Hastings and Rotor and all that sort of thing, that's that's uh, incredible uh, incredible names to be mentioned against for for painting. And uh, so I, yeah, I think all your your time and effort it was it was cool to see um from judges and from just people walking around um uh, for you for you, your work to get some uh notice and recognition like that so i was i was pretty pumped for you um that, yeah uh, thanks yeah i um one of my goals obviously the army i took is kind of been the army i've been working on for a year and a half um and i rushed a few of the pieces towards the end and creating a list for it um you know i I don't know that I want to 
rush my high level painted army for tournament. Mm. Kind of thing. I'm, yep. I'm not saying that I would have won more had I not rushed or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but just the, I mean, that's the army that I paint to high level because it's relaxing and cool, you know, whatever. So yeah. it was hard to rush with that. Um, but I, one of my goals was just to get, I, I think I'd mentioned it in a, one of the YouTube videos. Um, it just I was looking for a nod of some sort. And initially just, yeah, so many people from different game systems came over and noticed the army and had really cool things to say. And I really enjoyed every time explaining what my general was doing, collecting these units from all over the realms and that sort of stuff. And really just kind of playing up the story, et cetera. And I had a rule for my Slon uh, that only came into play a couple times that uh, on his exploding whatever this is you know, this is your slon was your casket right yeah sorry my slon my my spawn pool of souls um for my undead army not my lizard army <laughs> he would do a you know his thing where he'd shoot out his d3 mortal wounds and then on a five up it bounces to any you know every unit within six inches of, the, of its enemy on a five up it hits them too I'd let my opponent roll for my units that were within six because my this this slon is kind of trying to undermine my general in very you know uh, you know it was kind of a fun thing uh, and then yeah I was kind of packing things up and the paint judge came over um, and gave me just some high pro praise for um, the, the story that the army told the way that it, it you know used the the display board to tell that story um, the character of the models and he definitely was able to you know, show me some of my characters where the just you know, blending and, and shadows and that sort of stuff, right? You know, did not spend as much time, you know, yeah. uh, when compared to armies like um, Rotors and uh, Johnny's. Yeah. yeah, I mean, on technical, and that's what that's what they're they're judging on is the technical. Um, and no, yeah, there's no way I was, you know, uh, going to compete there. But just getting a nod and having pleased the judges and. And uh, they're actually some of them were up here in or up in Minnesota in Minneapolis. I think it was the Disco Land Jabbers had volunteered. They did the paint judging for every event, which was super cool. cool. <laughs> to be noted by paint judges, and, and it just—it's one of the things that makes kind of that hard work pay off. Is just the nod. It doesn't even have to be the award. It's just the nod. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it was a nod. It was. It was great. So. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for mentioning that, Davey. Yeah. So um, we've been we've been at this here for about um, an hour and ten. I'm gonna um, move us towards wrapping up. I wanna I wanna hit you guys with a couple questions to get uh, a take from this. So uh, I'll start with something a little more specific. There's a there's a lot of different compacts out there. There's a lot of talk about summoning. This one specifically, you could summon off of the sideboard that you didn't bring. So essentially, anyone who is summoning could have their deployed thousand. There uh, and then they could have access up to another 250, so 25% more than the other guy. Uh, Paul, I'm gonna start with you because as a destruction player, you did not have access to summoning. How did you feel about the summoning mechanic? Did you feel uh, did you feel things were fair? Did you feel out uh, outgunned when you're playing against someone with summoning? What was your experience with that? Uh, I don't think I felt outgunned. Um, it was actually nice to know what could be summoned. Because the rules aren't necessarily clear that you have to know what you're, what's being summoned. So it was nice to see what was in the sideboard just to be like, oh, okay, these are the things I'm going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then 
it, had I not known that, I probably would have been a little bit more like, oh, you get to pull exactly the thing that you want to. Yeah. Knowing that it had to be selected before the battle, it wasn't. I didn't see it as that big of a deal, and it wasn't like. So, it's the whole thing with AOS, where you look at it and you go, "Oh, he has more points than I do," but even more than before, the points don't matter mm-hmm. because are you achieving your objective? Yep. And bringing something on from summoning because everything is so mobile, you have to really summon it in the right place and get lucky and not have the, your opponent get a double turn or something like that. I mean, there's so many variables in how the game plays out that it's not like it was in 8th edition where somebody could summon a line of zombies right in front of your unit and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Because you can run away. Or if you can't run away, you can charge in and then flee away. Like... Everything is so mobile. It just didn't seem nearly as much of a concern to me. So it, I, I, I wasn't bothered by it whatsoever. And it was nice to know what units he had access to. Sure. Eric, as a, as a summoner, uh, I think by my count, you played at least, let's see, three, two or three armies that um, may not have had access to summoning on their side. Uh, how, did you, how did you feel about how that played? Yeah. Yeah, Stormcast, Isles, and um, they could not summon. But the two kings and yours. Oh, sure, yeah. Good. So, yeah, 50%. Um, yeah, when setting it up, I, you know, I was like, okay, I was playing the, with the assumption I'm going to summon those, right? So it, it caused me to bring a couple more. You you would suggest it as well, a second caster to caster. be able to. Just because there's so much stress on your, on your uh, yep. how many spells you wanted to be pushing out every turn, so. So if I wanted to buff a unit, if I wanted to summon something, or if I wanted to deal out some damage, I had a little bit more option for sure. Um, and so it, it certainly set me up to say, hey, I've got to summon. And then it was down to, well, what do I want to summon? And I ended up picking you know, a couple of not powerful units, but body count units. Yeah. Um, I was tempted to bring a Banshee, a Tomb Banshee. Um, because it would synergize really well with the squeaking skull catapult, um, that it would you know take the bravery down of a unit just by aiming at it, and then have it summoning the uh, banshee to do a scream two dice um, two d six versus your bravery. Um, I thought that would be powerful for taking you know <laughs> damage, um, but I I felt like given the scenarios, two of the scenarios really depended on model count. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like that was more important. Um, and so that was different. I think then, uh, you know, in, if I were bringing ogres, um, and I think you, I mean, you have probably the, one of the best answers, um, Davey with your Sigor is that, you know, you you got, you know, uh, you need something to kill wizards. Mm-hmm. If you've got summoning on the other side of the table and you don't have summoning yourself, you need to uh, eliminate that option from their army as well as fast as you can. Um, so I think it, it really, just having it and saying, hey, this is what it is, it means that everybody can either try and get their 1250 on the table or try and cancel out the other person's, you know, 250 and have a better 1,000 points on the table than them, you know? Sure, so yeah. How would it, I mean, well, was, that, was that what you were thinking about, Davey, with the... I mean, you would like to kill wizards with your Saigor. Yeah, oh, it was uh, fun. He, 
he uh he's racked up uh racked up something of a kill count on on those i think he got one or both of yours and he got uh wingers wingers uh caster and he almost got uh, a relictor who doesn't isn't really a caster but he was the closest he could find um but yeah i mean that was that was why he was in was for the extra unbinding uh to try and help push against uh push against summoning and then to uh threatened casters because I knew they, they had the potential to be pretty pivotal on it. Um, and so just kind of knowing, knowing the circumstances going in helped to, helped to build. And then I obviously had summoning of my own, not, not originally in the plan, but, um, due to changes in SDK ended up, uh, doing those. I, I actually summoned my demonets in every game and never once managed to summon my chariot. I tried a couple times and failed the casting every time. So, uh, and in the end that was probably for the best. For the best, no, man. I would love to put that down. I, I, uh, I killed myself trying to get that ready for for if I'd known I was never going to touch it to the yeah. table, I could have saved myself <laughs> some grief. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good. No. So some moral victory would have been would have been good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I have a question based on that question, Davey, if you don't sure. mind. Yep. So, you could find you, you picked your armies based on the alliance, right? For this tournament? Yep. Yep. So, Destruction is the only alliance that doesn't allow summoning. So, I guess from a very broad question, unless you were playing against a Destruction player, everyone there chose not to bring a summoner if they didn't have one. Right. So, at that point, because there is, you know, like, there is synergy, etc., but like, Everyone had access to it, unless you're playing destruction. Right. So, it can't really be an unfair advantage, you know, unless that specific example. Yeah. Because I, everyone had access to one and didn't bring it. Yeah, I, I think this event. Uh, I mean, I think there was a, a fair number of people at this event who may not have uh, built an army. They may have been, you know, adapting an eighth army um, more than they were building a new army. But yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. You know. People, people are going in eyes wide open. I, I think uh, constructionist scenarios also can weigh heavily on on what impact that has. So, but uh, mm -hmm. I know with uh, South Coast coming out their pack, that's a it's a big thing. So I just thought that we'd bop yeah. our thoughts on on how these this uh, tournament ran it. So definitely. Um, all right. So let's uh let's start bringing it to a close. How about uh, give me give me two thoughts. Any two thoughts you want um, after coming away from this. What would you want to convey uh, to a listener or someone about either Packer or the tournament or, or just the experience? Um, Paul, go unless uh, unless you need a little time. No, no, I, I think I got my two. Uh, my number one is um, the games that I lost, I lost definitely on tactics. It was the other player played better than I did um, to maintain the goals and get the movement where it was on the table. Mm, interesting. Um, and it, it, like they, they also better deployed the resources that they had at their disposal. They didn't overcommit to things that they shouldn't have. Um, and it was surprising even when, you know, for all intents and purposes in three of the games, I got outplayed, but I didn't feel like I was out of the game. That was a really interesting change for me because all my previous tournaments have been AFED, and whenever I definitely got outplayed, 
there was no way I felt like I was in the game. Um, so that was a really, really nice thing because I'm, I'm typically not the person who's going to be winning the tournament. And so the tournament as a whole was just a lot more enjoyable for me to play in from beginning to end because even though I was losing everything, I wasn't not enjoying every game I was playing. So that was a, that was a very interesting dynamic. And number two, I loved that I never had to like take five minutes to look up a rule. Yeah. In my previous tournament, like every single game, there's always one thing that you're like, oh, I just don't know, or that doesn't quite work. But, you know, for my army, I literally just had five pages of rules. And if you can't find your rule within 30 seconds of those five pages of rules, then you're probably never read them to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like every game I played was just so easy, fun, and like, just allowed you to enjoy spending an hour and a half with the player against uh, across the table from you. Like there was a lot of thinking involved, but none of that thinking was whether or not you were going to have to argue about a rule, whether or not the move that you were going to make is going to cause a problem or a different rules interpretation. Sure. That was a really enjoyable feeling. Sure. Yeah. For a tournament to play in. Let me put it that way. Uh, yeah. Uh, awesome observations. Eric, what do you got? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll definitely, I mean, just, yeah, a quick second to that, uh, sentiment that, you know, my games went much faster because we just didn't have rules questions. Um, you know, we yeah. might've played one or two a little bit differently or, you know, I you know forgot a thing, but yeah, it was so streamlined. It was all focused then on, you know, talking a little bit about, what my army did or what my model did or whatever, but it was a cool discovery for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and you felt kind of like, in a th you, you know, you were telling the other player about what it did. You kind of felt like an authority, like this was my army. Like it, it, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they played the army too, but you just felt like, Hey, this is my army right now. So it's, it's just some ownership of the rules and ownership of that sort of thing was really cool. And it just made for allowed us to talk about other things and talk and focus on strategy and focus on tactics, et cetera. Um, I think that if there's a party I'm, I'm, I'm torn because on one hand having an all AOS event, like I'm, I really am jealous of the people going to Holy Hammer GT. Um, Holy I know I, Holy War, sorry, Holy Wars GT. I know that that's going to have some infinity as well. So I guess maybe, I, you know, this isn't a direct comparison, but having such a, positive like not that people were negative like i didn't feel any negativity towards age of sigmar at the same time it wasn't like a whole event focusing all its positivity into age of sigmar either mm -hmm. um so it, i don't know if it was as intense and and you know aos like pumped an experience as it could have been or we could have had at the same time the positive was being able to enjoy some other um, systems, some other random games, some fun non AOS stuff, mm. and so it's you know it's a it's a toss up. You're you're sacrificing one for the other. Um, overall, I felt like I it was a I think I liked that it was a um, a boon to the community as a whole, the of war gamers in the Midwest, than needing it to be you know Age of Sigmar heavy and sure. you know just pure one hundred percent intense age of sigmar right. like you know most of my hobby is so i think it was it was overall i think 
just really good. And I'm, I'm really impressed with what the um, Wapaka guys were able to pull off. And I think what it's going to mean for the community in the future, I think it's just a really good step for the Midwest and the U S um, you know, war gaming community as a whole. So Absolutely. that's pretty, pretty cool. What's yeah. you, Davey? Uh, I put in a sword. Yeah, no, that was, that was <laughs> fun and awesome, obviously. But, uh, I, I really, I actually liked the multiple events going on because it meant that if somebody was playing, some, you know, I, I think it helped, it gave a chance to like kind of break down some of the walls and, and maybe they, those walls didn't really exist or maybe they only existed in our, you know, minds when we were interacting with people on the internet because the internet is the internet, but you know, it was, it's cool. Like I was playing Red Dragon Inn later that night. I was playing some people who weren't in the Age of Sigmar tournament. We would sit alongside of them, and like we're having a good time, and you know. So there's still that community feel, even if we're not playing the the same game. Or people would wander over and watch, or they'd look at, you know, they come look at your army and say, uh, "Hey, you know, check it out. Here, somebody's put a pretty sweet Age of Sigmar army together. He's got this undead army on rounds, and uh, just kind of open, you know." open people's eyes, soften, soften the rough edges on, on some of that debate, I think. And, uh, I think some people came back, uh, came out of it with a, a more positive outlook on Age of Sigmar than they went into it with. Um, and, uh, so I thought, I thought that was cool. And I just, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great format. Um, I was so tired that, uh, I'm, glad almost that we weren't there for more than the one day but uh <laughs> um but i had i had such a great day and even you know did a did a spread of things even in that one day and just uh just enjoyed that sense of community and and all that so i, I thought that was real good and then uh, i guess i'd like to just close it out say uh thanks to chad hansen who ran that event for us and uh, uh appreciate it and i know he's he's looking at maybe doing another one out in lacrosse maybe later in the year uh, based on some of the feedback he had there so thought he did a great job and uh appreciate that appreciate the hard work from him and, and the uh the point boys and everything like that had a great time so and we got any last thoughts here um only thought i had was they came up with a custom fury road game oh yeah after the opening ceremonies and that was all kinds of awesome yeah it was it was uh it was pretty pretty rad to see and like i, I wasn't I wasn't even looking in on it mostly. Uh, I was over playing something else, but just hearing the roars and you know hopping up and wandering over to take a look, it was it was fun. It was a that was the kind of spirit I'm talking about of like lots of cool things going on. You can go look at armies from different things or projects or games from different things. It just it was fun to you know see all that that positive energy. Um, people were able to focus it however they wanted. So, yeah. um, and somebody pointed out, uh, I think maybe it was Rotor. He was saying, you know, the good thing here is if if I have a bad Friday, I can wake up and Saturday's another day and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I think, I think it was cool. I think, uh, I think many people have said it before, but there's room for all kinds of different events. And I think there's definitely room for this kind of one too. So, yeah. no, and I think, um, if, if you're out there and you've not gone to an event, it's certainly something uh, to try. It's an aspect of the age of Sigmar hobby of whatever hobby, um, going and playing in these environments, trying out these compacts that are new and different. I'm really excited about how different SDK was compared to um, the pool comp stuff. Yep. 
there's things I like about it and there's things that, um, you know, were different and think, you know, the pros and cons, but I, it made these games way, you know, just fresh compared to other games that Davey and I have been playing. And so that's, I think that's always welcome and should always be welcome. Um, and you know, we've got the community to pull it off. Um, and it's only getting, it's only growing. So, you know, try out one of these events, um, you know, and yeah, I'm, I would love to to do another one later in the year and um it'd be cool to do a you know we've done the SDK one maybe another um type of comp um one or you know whatever but um it it was it's cool to add this to the experience I've been to to Wapaka in this new format and it feels really cool um and yeah now it's just one more Age of Sigmar experience um how to how to have fun in in this hobby um, fun in the age of Sigmar that, you know, I feel a little bit more like it's just one more thing at my disposal. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And uh, just to kind of tack onto that, Eric, if you're going to go to an AOS tournament also, now is the time to go because as you heard us talk about the games, you know, Alex <coughs> and John Wenger were really, really knowing what's going on because they're focusing on running Adepticon. But everybody that I played was just learning the rules of the game along with me as I was learning the, game, the rules as we're playing it. You know, like, now is the time to play because nobody's at a point where they're an authority and nobody's trying to break the game. Everybody's just kind of learning what's going on. And so it's a perfect time to jump in, even if you've never been in any, any other tournaments before. That's a good point. It is fun to be in on the ground floor or something. You kind of um, discover it along with uh, everyone else. Yeah, and not not to let you know that be the la- I need to have the last word or something. Oh, yeah, I don't, no, but at the, same time, at the same time, I mean, like Davey, you and I did not get any practice games in the last part of January. Maybe we got one game in January, um, cup maybe a couple of games in December leading up to this. So we played through the scenarios. It did not like, and even then, you were probably correcting me on some rules, um, like. It, it doesn't. I don't think it takes a ton of games to come to these events and know where you're at. I mean, Paul, how many how many you know games had you played prior to this event? How many full games of AOS? I think I played two. Right, <laughs> but and you said to yourself that you know one of your strong points was that you didn't have to think a lot about the rules, like they weren't yeah. rules a lot. I mean, so even a year from now. If you've just played a couple and other people have played a hundred, like the rules are the rules, right? There, that's the starting yeah. point. Yeah, uh, and the compact always throws something different in there. Well, but and and uh, I would say it worked. It worked both ways, where you know Paul was able to go in and not not be floundering with the rules. On the other hand, uh, I know that what what practice games we had played were very beneficial to me for forming a strategy, and I think you can say the same. So yep. it yep. wasn't. It wasn't that you could just you know monkey your way through. Um, you know, it, it it did help to any practice helped, um, but in in a good way of the strategic way, not just of the you know can I you know can I perform the basic functions of this game way. You know, you didn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that about it. Yep, and I think that's one of the biggest insecurities about a tournament, though, is can I perform the basic functions of the game? Will I be laughed off the table if I don't know the rules? And then you can step it up if you do know more and played more and, and you know, have those more tactical experiences. So that's where I think it, it plays to both the, the 
the amateur and the you know um, high competitive person. So it, yeah, I just um, I don't want to deter anybody from you know thinking how I'm not going to be able to go for a long time or maybe I'm not thinking about it right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I it was a great time. I'm glad that uh, the both of you were able to come up and we were able to represent Mortal Realms. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just meet some new people, make some new friends, reconnect over this new game that we all enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's an excellent sentiment to wrap it up on. So, uh, Paul, thank you for riding with us. Thank you for uh, hopping on tonight and uh, yeah. contributing to uh, an episode which is going to be an addendum episode, and it's going to be alarmingly long despite my best <laughs> intention. This is so. like face hammer long. Yeah. Oops. All right. <laughs> so, okay. all right. Uh, but uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Have a good night. Adios. Our time has expired, and it's time for our reforging. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mortal Realms Podcast. If you know someone who's curious about Age of Sigmar, tell them about this podcast. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, Mal is at Mortal Realms. Davey is at red underscore Zeke, and Eric is at Stone Monk Gamer. Um, do you want to just get our kind of our our what we've what it's taken us to get to Packa so far, and maybe what we're expecting from Packa this year being so. Yeah.